Hello, welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I reckon if I chopped up some really nice veg and made a good gravy, Gary would taste really nice. And I'm Gary, and today we're going to review and discuss Pandorum, which came out in 2009 with a story by Christian Alvert and a screenplay by Travis Malloy and directed by Christian Alvart. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows Ben Foster's character, Corporal Bauer, who has just woken up from hypersleep on board Elysium, a giant transport ship heading to Tannis 1. The ship is quiet and cold, and the only other person he's talking to is Dennis Quaid's character. And the only other person he's talking to is Dennis Quaid's character. Bauer must make his way to the reactor to try to save everybody on the ship, but something else is on board that wants to eat him. So, I'm just going to say it right now, because it's not obvious from the get-go, mm. but this is a Paul W.S. Anderson production. <laughs> he produced this, so fair, he's a producer for this film, with his longtime collaborator, Jeremy Bolt, I think it is. Yeah. Uh, the same two that did Event Horizon. And this film mm. has, uh, I considered it, like, the moment I, you know, I walked out of the theatres, said that this is the spiritual successor to it. Like, when I saw those two's names and saw what the project was, I was like, this, this you know, I'm going to go see it because of how much I liked Event Horizon. Yeah. Uh, but this didn't originally start as a mega-budget sci-fi you know, action movie. Mm. Uh, this was originally a small script that was about to get made on a budget of, like, $200,000. Um, and there was also another script at the time that that uh, that the two producers had, mm. and they said, "Well, there's this other script that's kind of similar to this one. Let's buy both, merge the two scripts together, as long as we get permission from both of them, merge yeah. them, and then make one film based off both the ideas." And 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 so that's where you know the money came from to turn that small idea into a bigger into a bigger film. Yeah. Unfortunately, this film also didn't do very well. Uh, theatrically, uh, critically, this film wasn't shown to critics, and that's usually a big sign that a mm. film is going to going to fail uh, if they don't show it to critics. It's usually because they want it; they want to hide it. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, this film didn't get very much like advertising for it. There wasn't a big push behind no, it. No. And so it literally came and went, and very few people went to see it, uh, which is which is a little bit sad because this film was the beginning of a planned trilogy. Wow. However, at least this film is self-contained, beginning, middle, and end. So it's upsetting for those that really enjoy this that there will be no more, despite a really strong fan campaign. Yeah. <laughs> Even the director and the writer were like, I'd love to do more, but the money ain't there, so it's not going to happen. But, you know, I'd love to do more, but the money ain't there, so it's not going to happen. But, you know. Yeah, I did not see much for this film when it first came out. I mean, we were talking before and Gary was like, look, I saw it in the cinema and I'm pretty sure I fucking told you about it. And I'm like, yeah, but did you, did you, did you tell me and advertise it as this really great film? Or was it just like, oh, I went and saw this and it was enjoyable. Where it was a few years after the film had come out, I was at a friend's house and he was just like, look, you know, we've got to watch a film. Have you seen Pandorum? Oh, no, I've heard about it. And we put it on and I was just like, man, this is this is really good. But yeah, it just it, it floats under the radar. You always get that one person who goes, hey, man, have you ever seen Pandorum? I really like that film. But before we go too far, I want to say right now, we are going to be getting into some big spoiler territory. So if you've never seen Pandorum, you should really just stop the review now, 
go off and watch it, and then come back and tell us what you think. So the film starts with the Elysium One flying away from Earth. We get a bit of a title crawl telling us that, you know, the kind of Earth's space history, you know, man lands on the moon, and then they start to find reports of a pla uh, planet just like Earth, um, and then they launch Elysium One. But we also get that beginning opening where they kind of fly into the cockpit, don't they? And you see the three people on board who get the last message from Earth, basically, Elysium is uh, you know, their it's, last salvation, it's basically. It's now like Noah's Ark. Yeah. You now are the last of humanity, so good luck out there, because Earth is peacing out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. Right, there we go. You know, we're, 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 we're away. And then when Ben Foster wakes up, you know, the film, like you said, very event horizon-y. Like how, you know, the film, like you said, very event horizon-y. Like how dark and moody it can be right at the beginning where he just kind of wakes up in hypersleep and he's just pulling himself out of all these tubes and pulling himself off of the respirator. It's the, it's the fact that he's got to pull off all of his shedding skin. Yeah, that was like... <laughs> I was like, I don't remember this. Like, I've seen this. This would be the third time I watched this film. Watching Ben Foster per peel off his own skin. I'm like, oh, man, that's great. It is great. It's disgusting. It's, you know, it's slimy. It's horrible. It's disgusting. Like, you're sure it makes sense scientifically somehow, yes. some way. But, you know, the, it, it's fine. You go with it. Uh, but then, like, this film, the reason why I like it is... And, and it is a massive freaking trope. Yeah. Amnesia. I can't remember who I am, what I'm called, what I'm doing. And oh my God, there is an emergency going on. <laughs> yeah. and what do I do? Yeah. You know, and the film will drip feed. Like we have that exposition at the beginning. Mm. And what I like, kind of like Terminator, you know, where Carl Reese drip feeds this information to Sarah Connor yeah. throughout all of the chases and all the action set sets. Uh, this film does something similar where we kind of get drip-fed the information about where they are, what's happened, yes. what their roles are, as they try to figure out what the hell's gone wrong with the ship that, you know, that, and everything that's going on with it. And, and we soon get introduced to Dennis and Wade's character. You're waking from extended hypersleep. This is disorientation. Did you get that fucking light out of my eyes? Sorry. Corporal Payton, um, he wakes up from cryo sleep as well, suffering from the same problems as Bauer. But, you know, when they look at their arm, you know, the sci-fi-ness in this movie, I like, I'm a bit of a sci-fi whore. You know, you start talking, you know, lasers and, and fighters and, you know, engineer tech that I have no idea because it doesn't have any explanation. I'm all over it. And the way they kind of talk to each other about the numbers on their arm, of what unit they're from, and who's supposed to be here to wake them up. You know, and Dennis Quaid starts jumping on the computer because he's just like, well, I think I know this. And through the power surges as well, you know, Bauer's character is just like, look, I don't really remember why, but that's not good. And I think I'm an engineer. I'm part of the flight crew, and I think I'm supposed to do some of that. He reminded me, like, this is the third time watching this movie, he reminded me of Isaac from Dead Space. Sure. I was like, man, you know, get Ben Foster back to play Isaac in the Dead Space movie. That would be fucking awesome. Power systems must be free-floating between uncoupled circuits. 
or something, the override grid won't even lock in. What do you think? You know, they come up with the idea, they can't get through, wherever they are, they can't get through to the bridge because the door is being jimmied. We see evidence that even though there's nobody there, kind of people have been there. Something has been going on. And so Bauer has to climb through the air ducts. And like, one of the things I got used to really early on was just how dark everything is and has to be. Because not only is there no power, but it seems like there's no power and it hasn't been for an incredibly long time. Right. You know, we see the dust on the consoles. You know, these things are going to take time to light up. And so when he's crawling through the pipes, he has that little moment where he's freaking out. You know, he's literally been awake for, what, six hours? And he's in an air vent and the ship's going to explode and he doesn't know why. The whole claustrophobia and everything is... Uh, yeah. It's, it's captured really well. And that's one thing I do like about... The, the set design in this film, and we'll see it as we, as we go through the scenes in the film, how well they've set the location, which is an abandoned power plant in Berlin, in Germany. Wow. Uh, and so the way they've decorated it to turn an power plant in Berlin, in Germany. Wow. Uh, and so the way they've decorated it to turn it, what you believable is in the interior of a ship. Yes. They've done really, really well. I'll also say the exterior shots of the, you know, the CGI ship flying through space. Oh, yeah. I'll say, it's a really cool model. I really like it. Yeah, yeah. Good job. I did just, because it, it just gave you this really impression that it's just incredibly long. So when you get the long winding tunnels and, you yeah. know, the dark claustrophobic corridors... But I'm like, yeah, I'm totally on there. Absolutely. And you also have to remember, this is not a cruise ship. It's not a luxury liner. Yeah. You know, most of the crew are meant to be asleep until they got to the planet. That is this ship's sole purpose. Mm. You yeah. know, uh, it wasn't there to entertain people over, you know, over any amount of time. So it's just functional. Yeah. Well, uh, it's supposed to support them because... You know, the crew are supposed to alternate shifts. Yeah, over two the years long on, two, period. and then back to sleep. You know, so, so the, there, there might be something, been... but nothing too substantial. Yeah, because we're talking like how many people were on board? Like a couple of hundred thousand yeah, people, yeah, you yeah. know, because you had the crew, you had the colonists they were carrying, and then you had all the crew families, you know, so there are going to be hypersleep capsules all over the place, but we are seeing nobody. Until hypersleep capsules all over the place, but we are seeing nobody. Until I mean, I I love Dennis Quaid. You know the Jack Putter machine, zero defects. You know he's just you know the Jack Putter machine, zero defects. You know he's just he's just machine, zero defects. You know he's just he's just great Dennis Quaid he does have a really good moment here it kind of breaks the tension a little bit where you know he's panicking in the in the tunnel oh yeah yeah and he's just like is this a bad time to tell you I got the bridge door open and he's just like motherfucker you so actually I'm kidding I'm kidding and that's it that completely breaks tension but when Bauer falls out of the air vent and Ben Foster falls on a lot of shit in this movie like he's either being thrown onto it or he falls onto it and I'm like man that guy Acts. Uh, we get introduced to Gallo, played by Cam Gigandent, and Gallo is in the air vent. He's naked and he's he's you know crazed. He's been out for a while, and he and Peyton, Dennis Quaid's character, obviously start to talk about what's going on. You know, Dennis Quaid's like obviously start to talk about what's going on. You know, Dennis Quaid's like look, obviously start to talk about what's going on you know dennis quaid's like look i've got to start to talk about what's going on you know dennis quaid's like look i've got a guy to talk about what's going on 
you know, Dennis Quaid's like, look, I've got a guy to talk about what's going on. You know, Dennis Quaid's like, look, I've got a guy out there. He's heading to the reactor. We're planning on saving everybody. And Gallo's like, you don't want to save everybody. You don't know what's out there. And we keep flicking back to Bauer having to know what's out there. And we keep flicking back to Bauer having to deal with these things. <laughs> well, that is it. Here is now, you know, the, the, the monster on the ship. The haunted yes. house. That is it. Here is now, you know, the, the, the monster on the ship. The haunted yes. house. Is it here is now, you know, the, the, the monster on the ship. The haunted yes. house movie. Here is now, you know, the, the, the monster on the ship. The haunted yes. house movie in space, you know. He, he sees this woman at first. Yeah. Um, he, they have, like, a brief exchange before she vanishes out of there. Before we then uh, get to see this mangled body mm. that's hanging hanging there. So th these are all the signs that, of course, there are other crew out there. There is something horrible going on. And then the, the, the blue glow, which which kind of symbolizes in this film the approaching uh, monsters. Yes, well, down the screeching. Down the screeching and the howling and, the, and, the, and the, then the panicking and the running. <laughs> and uh, he ends up bumping into Norman Reedus. <laughs> A very young-looking Norman Reedus here, um, who was actually, you know, here as, like, to hang out with his friend, the director, mm. who he had worked with previously on a film called Antibodies. Um, and so he was just like, I just wanted to be here and hang out with my friend, the director, and I got a part. Man. Man. And I'm dead. <laughs> Cheers, Norman Reedus. When you look like Norman Reedus, you just end up in films. I mean... Like, oh, I just hung out on set. It's like, of course you're going to get a fucking part in the movie. But it it does, it did, like you said, it, it does drip feed the information. You know, he's, I, like, what is he part of the crew? I can't, I can't remember. He was supposed to relieve Bauer, I think. And when he's released from the trap, he knows kind of what the things are. And he starts to cover himself in, like, oil to hide his scent. He runs off. Bauer's already cover himself in, like, oil to hide his scent. He runs off. Bauer's already himself in, like, oil to hide his scent. He runs off. Bauer's already, well, armored in, like, oil to hide his scent. He runs off. Bauer's already, well, armored himself, oil to hide his scent. He runs off. Bauer's already... Well, armoured himself at this point with this stun gun, stun of gun some kind, thing, yeah. you know, which I don't know. He has to pump, or it's already, I don't know, Turbo Kids laser gun. <laughs> I don't know, um, but he chases that. They get chased by these creatures, and the, the creatures they reminded me of the things from the Descent. Absolutely, yeah. Well, but they're not blind. No, they're not. Because they use light to light their ways. They can see. You know, we will learn later on. You know what they are but when you see them running and leaping and how fast they move and then when are you, you know Norman Reedus is the guy who's gonna get eaten because Ben Bauer is gonna go fucking way and um, when he does and you see me get he gets hooked up on by his foot way and um, when he does and you see me get he gets hooked up on by his foot doesn't he yeah and then he gets knifed in the gut and they are just scrambling just fucking eating <laughs> you're like okay we do not want to get caught by them but uh, we, we do get our first real big close-up of the monster as well, because Bauer, he ends up going climbing up to the top and looking back, and he does fire off a shot. Yes. But I think there's like a glass or a barrier or something. Yeah, he didn't realise it was like a, a, 
a window. <laughs> right. And uh, But we do get to see our first close-up rule there of the, the monster. And I believe the lead monster mm. uh, is played by the captain that we saw right at the very beginning of the film on the, br- on the bridge. Oh, So I was nice. like, that's a nice little way just to show him out of makeup at least. Yeah. <laughs> but I will say, I think the makeup design here, they did a really good job. Um, I like the fact that they're not CGI monsters, but yes. they that they are people, they are dancers, they are acrobats, they are oh, yeah, gymnasts that can move really well. Yeah. But I like the fact that they use CGI to just like maybe remove a nose yes. or, or remove parts of their bodies. And they use the CGI to touch up the the makeup effects. And, and here, it works really well. Yeah. We are introduced to, I, I think it's Antia Trave who plays Nadia. Um, great actress. I know only... One other film that I've seen her in, which was Man of Steel, um, as the female Kryptonian that Clark Kent fights. And I've got to say, I fell in love with her then. <laughs> you know, I've got something about a woman in uniform. I've just, uh, yeah. Um, and I didn't realize she was in Pandorum. So when I was watching Pandorum, I was just like, wow, I love this actress. And she plays this really well. Like, she is a botanist who saves Bowers. And she starts to take him through the ship. But they all saves Bowers. And she starts to take him through the ship. But they also come across... And she starts to take him through the ship. But they also come across a man played by Kung Lee. Which I'm sure you'll recognise, Ian. Uh, I mean, you absolutely have to recognise this face. He's from the Tekken movie, which came out a whole year after this. (laughs) What? Thus ending the career of Kung Lee. Oh, man, that's so bad. Like, oh, man. Like... He's, he's really good in he, this. He is. He really gets to show you show and utilize his martial arts prowess. Uh, they capture some of his fight scenes really, really well. Yeah. He also just speaks in, in Vietnamese the entire uh, film. Yeah. So we never understand anything he says. Just speaks in, in Vietnamese the entire uh, film. Yeah. So we never understand anything he says. Yeah. And and I like that. I like that they did that. They didn't subtitle him. No. Nothing. That, you see, that's the, that's the thing. I, I was a bit jarred at first because I'm just like, he's talking to... He's talking to Bowers like they're friends. You know, he saved them once and now they're hanging out. And so you've got these three characters, you know, Man, uh, Nadia and Bowers. And Bowers is trying to convince Nadia that he needs help to get to the reactor because the reactor's going to explode. And Nadia is just like, look, you don't get what's going on. You know, I've been awake for a little while. She even takes the guys back to her little kind of hub. You know, because she's a botanist, she's looking after the Noah's Ark area of the ship, which contains all the biological DNA samples of pretty much all life that was on Earth before it exploded. And you're like, holy sh-. Like, that bit kind of gets a little bit over the top, because I, I could buy saving the colonists, but then having this whole section of ship, which, you know, contains all the animals of Earth, I'm like... Well, let's hope nothing bad happens to the ship then. You know, we really need to get out of it. But, like I said, Man's character, like, just off the fact that you can't understand what he's talking about. You know, he's, he, he knows. He's like, look, we have to go this way. We have to get over there. And I also like the fact that we do keep cutting back to uh, to Dennis Quaid. Yes. He is like, I'm on the scanners. I can tell you which ducks you're taking. And at some well, point, he's, he's like, I'm surprised you've made it this far. But and he, he, he loses communication with yes, them for they a end up going period. too deep into the ship. Yeah. And so you have him having these conversations with Gallo. And Gallo is just... 
Gallo's not all that. Well, he, I mean, to begin with, you, you, you're a bit uneasy with him, but within, like, his second scene, you're just like, there's something very off with him. Mm. By the third time he appears on screen, you're like, now he's, like, his character is completely changed across those three on screen. You're like, now he's, like, his character is completely changed across those three scenes. You're like, now he's, like, his character is completely changed across those three scenes. Yeah. And so you know that something is not quite right. And, and Dennis Quaid's also portraying the fact that he's very much aware that this person with him can't be trusted. Yeah, because he starts to arm himself up. He starts to, you know, get a drug to, to sedate him. Arm himself up. He starts to, you know, get a drug to, to sedate him. But the more, like, like Gary said, the more sequences we see of Dennis Quaid, the more we start to realise, because Gallo explains to us that he had to kill the, the other crew members of the bridge. And he's been hiding out. Because their captain had Pandorum. Yes. Which is the space sickness. There was only one. One little Indian left. They were my commanding officers. Men who had guided me through FT. But it wasn't them anymore. Now, I buy that because, you know, humans left alone for an incredibly long time will just inevitably go insane. You know, unless they're really, you know, medically treated. And we'd already seen him on the bridge, so I, I, from the first time watching this, you know, I knew straight off that he couldn't really be there. Because there's no way he could have been alive for that long period of time since the ship launched. And, you know, we were talking about this before, uh, before we turned the camera on. There's so many little things in every single sequence that Dennis Quaid has with the other actor regarding you know, what's going on, that you will really, really start to notice that, you know, Dennis Quaid is playing a mentally broken man really, really well. But when we cut back to Bowers and the crew, they're making their rig through the hypersleep chamber. And Bowers has been having it as well. He's been having these flashbacks towards his wife and how she has to be on board and he has to find her. And it's really cool and how she has to be on board, and he has to find her. And it's really cool for his character, but I never... And he has to find her. And it's really cool for his character, but I never... Never... He has to find her. And it's really cool for his character, but I never... Never lost the fact that Nadia is just so goddamn hot that he was never going to end up with her instead of his wife. She, his wife was a meal a long time ago, <laughs> and he had to leave it. But when they get into the hypersleep chamber and they're making the way, <laughs> and he had to leave it. But when they get into the hypersleep chamber and they're making the way through quietly, but you get that. But when they get into the hypersleep chamber and they're making the way through quietly, but you get that one creature. Sleep chamber and they're making the way through quietly, but you get that one creature that leaps down. Right. And it beats the shit out of them all. I know. I was just like, well, this is just one of them. You know, yeah. they end up stabbing it multiple times or <laughs> slicing it up. And I'm like, and this creature is still going. Yes. You know, it throws them all around. I'm like, this is just trying to fight one of them. So I like that that fight because it sets up how intimidating and powerful these creatures yeah. really, really are. And whilst looking at them, you can't help but go, you know what, they're, they, they're, they're humans, aren't they? Yes. They're, they're, they're humans. And I like the fact that yeah. the characters are asking questions like, where did they come from? Yes. Did they grow out of your Noah's Ark DNA lab? Yeah. Uh, did they, did they, are they space pirates that have hijacked the ship? You know, it's like all these questions, there's no answers. And the other question is, how long have they been flying through space? They don't actually know that they've been traveling 
or it's been nearly a thousand years since they left Earth. Yeah. <laughs> see, I see. I've since Planet of the Apes for Charlotte Heston. Anytime somebody wakes up from from hypersleep, you know, it's been a really fucking long time. You don't go to hypersleep for like a ten minute nap. <laughs> Nine hundred years is like normally the max. But like I said, we get all that information like halfway through the film, which is really nice. You know. Well, yeah. Well, now. We get that information there. Now, the, the film does it because it gives us two massive exposition dumps side by side. Yes. And this is where I dip out of the film. And I know a lot of people watching this will also phase out and lose interest partially in the film because the pacing drops so much. And I compare this mm. uh, Leland character who ends up capturing our heroes yeah. ties them up they have to convince him to let them go and then he goes you know what I'll tell you the whole history of Elysium and of the of, of the colony and of the crew yeah. and how this and everything we've already basically talked about and for me this is Predators. This is, you know, Lawrence Fishburne turning up halfway through the film. We go, this is what's going on. And and the pacing (laughs) just drops dead. And it takes too long to get back into the film again. Uh, And so there's a very good chance, like, those that are not fully invested will pick up their phones and tap out. I think it's better done in this movie, you know. Maybe because Lawrence Fishburne is too big of a name and everything in Predator was too well known that I'd much preferred it in this movie that I start to question, how long has Leland been around? He's been, uh, he appears to have been around. I start to question, how long has Leland been around? He's been, uh, he appears to have been around a lot longer than Nadia. Than anyone we've met. Yeah, yeah. And, and he knows this information at the same time that Gallo is dropping it to Peyton uh, on the bridge section that, you know, the, uh, the the captain of the ship went mad. He killed the other two flight captains because they were supposed to obviously alternate. Um, but instead of alternating, he then allowed certain crew members to come out and then treated them uh, like he was a god or because Earth was destroyed. There's no law anymore. There's no morale. So he was a king in this kingdom. And if he didn't like the people, he threw them down into the, into the, the bowels of the ship where because they're like they're locked away they're isolated they have to fight and for food they turn feral and something in the hypersleep chambers to help them get used to tanis one's atmosphere and land which you know it's got air and plants and water and stuff but you can't you you got to help the evolution of the you know it's got air and plants and water and stuff but you can't you got to help the evolution of the human race they've been injected with something to mutate them so yeah all those things in the in the bowels of the ship those are crew members that have been released by the captain over 900 years ago and so evolution has occurred and the dna mutation through the descendants of those that were first woke up has allowed the monsters that we're seeing which are descendants that have evolved to live in their surroundings see now i contemplated with the idea that gallo slash payton um has been doing this over a number of times he's he's kept opening his airlock because I I like I know we discussed it and you were like well no he's done it once he grew old and then he put himself to sleep because that's how Leyland explains it as well that he put himself back to sleep but I also like the idea of maybe he's done it a couple of times and so he knew the reactor needed fixing so he purposely put himself to sleep and reset Bowers so that when they woke up but oh oh you're a mechanic you have to go fix the reactor and uh, you know just to keep it going I, I like to also think the scenes with Dennis Quaid are his to keep it going. 
I, I like to also think the scenes with Dennis Quaid are his... I, I like to also think the scenes with Dennis Quaid are his... His gallo... I to also think the scenes with Dennis Quaid are his... His gallo... I to also think the scenes with Dennis Quaid are his... His gallo personality taking more and more control to get rid of Peyton. Yeah, Peyton wants to save the ship. He wants Bowers to succeed, and he even locks Gallo away in the hypersleep chamber. But you notice that Gallo's not in the hypersleep chamber anymore. He's fighting now, Peyton. And when he injects himself with that sedative or or whatever it is, it just Peyton is completely gone. Completely gone. And yeah. Gallo is now back in control. Now, I do... I do... I mean, the sequence where you see their arms and the barcodes and they kind of link into mm, yeah, one and then yeah. it's just him with the syringe. I was like, that, that was done fairly well. Um, now, of course, like going all the way back to the very beginning of the film, there is... You know, the, the filmmakers were aware and they, they, they paid attention to some of the sm smaller details mm. where if you were to look at his barcode, we know... That Bauer is flight team five. Yeah. Uh, and Peyton said that he was also of the same team. But if you look at his barcode, very quickly, he's not. He was the flight team one before it. Yeah. So literally, he, you know, Bauer was meant to replace him. But, you know, it's it, so, like, straight away, you could tell that something was off right from the get-go. Yes. But uh, the way the way they, they showed it and the way they handled it, I maybe would have preferred if they didn't have... They showed it and the way they handled it. I maybe would have preferred if they didn't have young uh, Peyton turning up. I think I would have preferred it if he had just remembered or started to have flashback memories. Yeah, yeah. Instead of having this whole split personality thing going on. I just don't... I don't think it's bad the way they presented it. I just it just didn't work for me. It does feel like a complete. I I will admit it does feel like a completely separate thing. Like Dennis Quaid is doing his own movie, you know, with Gallo um, and and Peyton and and Bowers is doing his his thing. But yeah, it it it, it does kind of work, you know, because at the same time Bowers, Nadia, Mann, and Leland have made their way to the reactor. And it just so happens to be the hive place for all of these creatures. They live... It's probably warm there. Yeah. And it's just a, a mass of flesh. I mean, Ben Foster's character falls off a, 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 a walkway and lands flesh. I mean, Ben Foster's character falls off a, 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 a walkway and lands a I mean, Ben Foster's character falls off a, 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 a walkway and lands among them. And he Foster's character falls off a, 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 a walkway and lands among them. And he has to make his falls off a, 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 a walkway and lands among them. And he has to make his way to the reactor. A, 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 a walkway and lands among them. And he has to make his way to the reactor. A, a, a walkway and lands among them. And he has to make his way to the reactor. A, a walkway and lands among them. And he has to make his way to the reactor. Um, so he has to don like the skin and discarded remnants of clothes of the skin and discarded remnants of clothes of the creatures so that he hides his scent which is like really gross um but he's he's had his flashbacks as well he's realized that his wife didn't come with him she's dead on earth you know um and so that that's the start of his pandorum break because they kept explaining that you know you'll go mad once you have uh, like a, a personal mind break and then you realize that there's nothing else left in the universe you'll go mad and start killing people ah. um, but he also he's got Nadia there to help him survive you know he also has man there 
but he remembers Peyton and he saw the hypersleep chamber, but he, we don't see that. We just obviously realize ourselves. But when they turn on the reactor and it just fucking eradicates everything <laughs> near them. <laughs> Man's had to leg it, Leland's had to leg it, you know, uh, Bowers and Nadia, they've made their dramatic run from there. And we have this final showdown between the leader hunter of the creatures and man. And like, even though there's like a cut halfway through the fight, I still think the fight's really fucking cool. Yeah, it moves fast, you know, and it's energetic and it's not really gory, but it's fairly bloody in places. Yeah, you're you're, you're getting behind man. Like, oh, absolutely. I want him to win, but yeah. then when he gets hit, I realise, yeah, he's good, but he's, these things are still stronger than him. Right. But then when he's getting eaten on the side and That's things... It's horrible, <laughs> yeah. And he just starts fucking stabbing the shit out of it. And you're just like, come on, die, die, die. And it dies. And he turns and he sees this little creature, little child creature nearby. And I'm like, fucking boot it in the face. You know it's fucking evil. I mean, look, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> boot it in the face. You know it's fucking evil. I mean, look, I'm sorry. I'm Don't judge a book by its cover, but we've just killed its dad. Or its brother, uncle, dad thing. And it just slices his throat and man's and, uh, dead. Brutal. Yeah. Well, Leland doesn't fare too much better either no. as he shuts the door behind the other two who are being chased by the rest of the monsters. He runs into, uh, near enough the bridge, yeah. and immediately gets monsters. He runs into, uh, near enough the bridge, yeah. and immediately gets one shot KO'd uh, by Dennis Quaid. <laughs> yeah. He gets the needle right in the eye, and I think his body's still twitching for a little while after. Yeah, yeah, because that's right in the eye, and I think his body's still twitching for a little while after. Yeah, yeah, because that thing was empty, so right. like he's he's just dying from the wound in his eye. Right. But we empty, so right. like he's he's just dying from the wound in his eye. Right. But we but we get Nadia and he's just dying from the wound in his eye. Right. But we but we get Nadia and Bowers in wound in his eye. Right. But we but we get Nadia and Bowers into the bridge. But we but we get Nadia and Bowers into the bridge. But we but we get Nadia and Bowers into the bridge with Dennis Quaid and there's Nadia and Bowers into the bridge with Dennis Quaid and it's really weird at first that the camera pans and you see Dennis Quaid in the chair but nobody says anything yet and he starts to get the big information dump you know where 900 years to get the big information dump you know where 900 years into the future oh 900 years since launch you know the ship has the, the ship has got Titanus. And we realise that obviously we're 900 years since the ship's launched. Um, you know, we're looking out what we have, what we first believe to be space. You know, there's no stars. You know, that's why uh, Peyton's just like, look, you know, there's no stars. You know, that's why uh, Peyton's just like, look, you know, there's no lore anymore. There's no morals. That's why uh, Peyton's just like, look, you know, there's no lore anymore. There's no morals. God himself is dead. Holy fucking shit. And we see the shielding fall back from the, the cockpit view screen and we realize there's no stars, you know, there's no morals, you know, God himself is dead. 
And and Bowers and oh, there's no morals, you know, God himself is dead. And and Bowers and Peyton are fighting. You no, know, God himself is dead. And and Bowers and Peyton are fighting because you know and and Bowers and Peyton are fighting because you know and and Bowers and Peyton are fighting because you know Gallo Peyton, Dennis Quaid's character, knows that Bowers is suffering from Pandorum himself. He's seeing things that aren't really there, and it's you know they're kindred spirits or or something. Um, but he's you know Bowers is shouting, Nadia, what do you see? What do you see? And then you see the first of luminescent creatures start to swim around, and you're like, what? If you're in deep space, it's kind of like in the deep o ocean, but you do realize, look, we're underwater, you know, and we can save everybody on the ship. Um, but Bowers starts to massively have a mental break. He starts seeing creatures that are attacking the bridge that aren't really there. And Nadia had already taken a knife wound earlier on against Leland. And Nadia had already taken a knife wound earlier on against Leland. And now she's having to fight uh, Dennis Quay's character, who is obviously superiorly stronger and been doing this a number of times. And so he almost takes her out. But... Bowers shoots a panel and the panel cracks the, the view screen. And so now the war is starting to come in. Yeah, and, you know, he kind of just kind of sits there and accepts his fate. <laughs> yeah, know? he literally just puts his hand, hands over his head and screams and hollers as the water just literally flushes through the rest of the ship as it's been a, a last desperate struggle to get into the escape pod yeah. and, and launch it. And, and at the same time, you've, you've, the, the ship itself has, uh, you know, launched all the, all the other colonist tubes. And, like, I, I felt that was a cool ending. But now, do you say as well, with the trilogy, it's like, oh, well, then you could have had some of the creatures survive. Oh, absolutely. You know, well, they did, on the yeah. Island. Well, it, it's not only that. I mean, it, it, for me, it opens up, like, this ending. Like, I think it's a really cool ending to see this alien planet. All yes. the pods emerging. This ending. Like, I think it's a really cool ending to see this alien planet. All yes. the pods emerging. Yeah. You know, and we see how the, the ship's not actually that deep in the ocean. No, no, they could, they uh, could get back exactly. on Exactly, so that, you know, they'd be able to make return trips to go and get the supplies and the cargo they need. They'd have to deal with the monsters on there. Then they've got to deal with setting up new civilization and rebuilding. So, like, the Lord of the Flies-esque kind of storytelling that could go on. The, the You know, there's yeah. so many possibilities to do with a second and a third. But at the same time, looking at, like, Pandorum 2 and 3... It would, it wouldn't, there would be completely different films to the first one. Well, I don't know if, like, because having the idea now is, like, what if, like, set a few years after they've come back out, they've decided to send a team down there to get supplies and stuff yeah. like that, and you get down there, and there are humans who have been left on board, who have constructed their own civilization. It's exactly, Because yeah. they can't it's, get out, yeah, you yeah. know. So and so many possibilities of little stories they could do there. That's but... it, but could you call it Pandorum? Because the, the whole, yeah, yeah, whole exactly. point in this movie was Deep Space Pandorum. Are yeah. these people suffering from underwater Pandorum? You, you know, know, unless in the second film they're like, oh, actually, this planet's terrible. We've got to somehow fix the ship and fly to a new one. Yeah, all the animals <laughs> are fitted by Pandorum, you know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I mean, I still felt pretty satisfied by, by the ending, though. Yeah, yeah. William, what were your favourite scenes from the film? Uh, man, like, 
a few of mine uh, revolve mainly around Dennis Quaid. Like, he's really good. I, I like him. You know, when I think of, like, movies, like, like The Day After Tomorrow. He was good in The Day After Tomorrow. It's not a great movie, but he was good in it. You know, Inner Space, you know, but this, his sequences work. And I know some people go, oh, well, it was completely obvious, and I knew it from the work. And I know some people go, oh, well, it was completely obvious, and I knew it from the start, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, maybe, maybe you can. But between the director's approach to how they do the whole Gallo Payton thing, and then Dennis Quaid's acting against, you know, the, the guy playing Gallo, like, the merging, like, as it gets to them finally merging, I'm like, ah, it's the old trope of, yeah, we've got monsters on a haunted house in space, but are they really the real monsters because he's actually the real Or caused by, by this guy yeah. whose mental health would escape him in space. Yeah. Um, the, the, you know, and I, like, I, I really like the Norman Reedus uh, death sequence because, you know, you don't have that many action sequences in this movie. A lot of it is just running and then talking and then running some more, you know. But between the Norman Reedus sequence of him being killed and that sequence where they fucked the guy up in the hypersleep chamber and it took three of them to bring him down i was like yeah i'm really getting behind you know ben foster's character and now nadia and now man um i think really that's it i and I, I like i could really love on the whole movie but there's just there's something i don't know what it is there's some kind of seasoning that's just not there yeah, yeah. There's there's a few memorable moments. I think my favorite uh, favorite sequence in the film was the cautionary 